My good friends, we are going to embark on one of the most important chapters in the Bible today. This is the Davidic Covenant. And this is really a center point to the whole life of David and the whole story of First and Second Samuel. Now, as we read this, this entire chapter, it's not a short chapter, but this entire chapter is pretty much just two people speaking. The first, the Lord speaking through the prophet Nathan to David, and then David speaking back to the Lord. It's an entire chapter that's mostly talking. And one of the principles of reading Old Testament stories or reading Old Testament narratives is whenever the story slows down by giving you lots of speech, what's going on is really important. Pretty much any time the story really slows down, what they're, they're slowing it down because they're trying to tell you this is really important. One of the big examples of this from the Old Testament is when the Ark of the Covenant is, sorry, the uh, tabernacle is being made in the book of Exodus. The story slows down and does a, you know, object by object description of everything God wants made in the tabernacle and then the making process. And it takes chapters and chapters and chapters to get through it. Why? Well, it's telling you that the tabernacle, which is God's presence on earth, is incredibly important to what God's doing in the world and what uh, God is doing with Israel. And so they slow down and enjoy telling the story because it's so important. They could have just said, God gave them instructions in building a tent for the Lord to dwell in. And it just one sentence summarize it. But why? by slowing down, they're telling us this is really important. You need to slow down and think about what's going on. And so same thing here. When you have an entire chapter that is just speech of God and David talking to each other, they're signaling that this is an amazingly important event. Now, as you read chapter 7, I want to just also point out another Old Testament narrative uh, fact. And I think that's well, maybe it's not a fact, it's my opinion that this chapter is really meant to echo a previous chapter from the book of 1 Samuel. Now, you might remember, in the book of 1 Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant goes on its tour through the land of Philistines, and then when it comes back to the land of Israel, and then there's like a chapter where Samuel fights the Philistines, and then the next thing that happens is the people come demanding a king, and then there's these long chapters where Samuel is speaking on behalf of the Lord and kind of rebuking the people. Remember, he works through the history of Israel, and then he rebukes the people for wanting a king. And we're going to see a similar thing happening here. Remember, in the last chapter, David has brought the ark from where it stayed, and he has brought it to Jerusalem. So we have this movement of the ark, back to someplace holy, back to where it's going to dwell for a bit. And then now we're also going to have a prophet addressing the people on the area of kingship. Though this time it's just going to be one man, and it's going to be about his kingship, not Saul's kingship. But there is meant to be this echo. This story is, is crafted, and it's specifically crafted, and it's crafted in detail. And we're meant to hear that progression of the movement of the ark and then a prophet addressing the kingship. And very likely what there is is meant to be this like connection where the king, in one sense, has begun to carry the presence of God to Israel. And we're going to see this totally fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the king of Israel and the presence of God are the same person. But what we have in this story is the king bringing the presence of God to the city 
of Jerusalem. And then God speaking to that king and promising him an eternal kingship and that the presence of God is going to be tied together with the descendants of David forever. And so God is kind of uniting his presence with his people with the kingship that, remember, um, originally Moses had prophesied that there would be a kingship, but when it was sought in the days of Samuel, it was sought for the wrong reasons and they got a wrong king, but now they have um, God's chosen king, and God is going to, by grace, intertwine his name and his presence on earth with the um, physical descendants of David. But let's read this chapter. Second Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now just a couple things to note. Remember when the people originally came to demand a king. They wanted a king just like all the nations around them because of their enemies, because they felt threatened by their enemies, they were attacked by their enemies, and they wanted a king to protect them from their enemies all around. And now in David, we actually have that desire fulfilled. The Lord has given David rest from all of his enemies surrounding them. So that desire of the kingship, even though it was wrong and in unbelief, God has fulfilled it through his king, David, bringing peace to Israel. And then the king says, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Now notice, I was talking before about how many words the Bible gives us about something. David doesn't even say here, I'm thinking of building God a house. He just says, I dwell in a house and the ark dwells in a tent. And that's kind of the it. And so it's very, uh, a short, short sentence. And we're meant to read into it a little bit. We're just, David's beginning to think. And Nathan just says, yeah, go do all that's in your heart. The Lord is with you. And so I'm not totally sure if Nathan had prayed about his response because God is going to give him a much longer one. Um, and David isn't actually going to build a house. He's going to get ready for it, but the, his son's going to build a house. But um, this is just, just notice how short this interchange is compared to what comes next. First David talks and then Nathan talks and they're just one sentence lines and then God is going to talk and then David is going to talk and they're really long speeches. And so just notice the difference between how little words or how few words God can use to say something compared to how many words the Bible can use and we're meant to take note when there's lots of words spoken. Starting in verse 4. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, and I have not, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make your for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares that to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up 
your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. All right, so that is one really long speech, and it contrasts with the speech that Samuel gave where, gave where he con condemns the request for kingship. But there, in both the speeches, there's this like rehashing of history about like what God had all done through the judges and stuff like that. And you've got this really gracious speech where God is saying to David, look, I've never asked for a royal palace, essentially a house made out of cedar. And he's revealing that David sees himself as a king, but he is disturbed that God doesn't have better than him. And so he's not a king like all the nations around who want the best for himself. He's actually disturbed that God doesn't have better than him. And so he wants to build God a house so that God has the best in all of Israel. And God says, that's nice in a sense. He says, I haven't demanded this. I haven't asked for this. And he says, you know what, and this will happen. One of your descendants or your descendant will make me a house. But the important thing is I'm going to make you a house. Because you wanted to bless me, I'm going to bless you. Because you wanted to do something great for me, I'm going to make you great. And there is this sort of sense of you can't outgive God going on here. God loves a cheerful giver and you can't be more generous than God. And so God sees David wanting to, in effect, give the kingship back to God. That's his heart. You know, I'm now established as king. I wish I could give it back to you by building you a house. And God says, because, you know, in one sense, you want to give the kingship back to me, I'm going to give the kingship to your descendants forever. And there is this one part here where it says, you know, if your son commits iniquity, I'll discipline him, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. But this promise that your th your throne shall be established forever, that's the last thing, your th throne shall be established forever, is a uh, messianic covenant. And it's remembered as a messianic covenant that someday one of David's descendants will reign on the throne of Israel forever. And that's why when Jerusalem was captured and pagans came and ruled over Jerusalem, starting with Babylon, um, they looked to this covenant promise from the Lord that one of David's descendants would reign on the throne of Jerusalem forever as a messianic promise because it obviously wasn't being fulfilled when a pagan was sitting in the throne over Jerusalem. And so they would look and say, God, where's one of your Davidic descendants? And that's why the whole idea of the Messiah being one of David's descendants, this is where it all comes from because God promised that one of his children, David's children, would uh, sit on the throne forever. Now, there are other lines in here that that hinted towards the divinity of the son of David, and you can see how it comes together, this prophecy of the Christ, the Messiah, comes together where it says like he's going to sit on the throne forever well he must have to live forever to really fulfill that and i will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son now in a human terms that just talks about love and loyalty 
But God fulfills this by actually being the divine father of the divine son, who's also a descendant of David through the lineage of Mary. And so all of these promises come together, that this throne shall be established forever, because Jesus is right now on the throne of heaven, but when he comes back, we'll be sitting on the throne of the earth, reigning over the new heavens and the new earth. And not only that, but um, where it says, he shall build a house for my name. You notice in this passage, house means both like a physical building, but it also means like a lineage, a royal lineage, a rulership. And so Jesus really did build a house for the name of God in that everybody who comes and joins the family of God is part of God's house. And so there's all these prophecies that are fulfilled truly in Christ, fulfilled in measure through Solomon and other descendants, but fulfilled truly in the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and this is the Davidic covenant. And it's one of the major covenants of the Old Testament. The first great one is the Abrahamic covenant. And there are some echoes because God promised Abraham that he was going to make his name great and he was going to make his name a blessing and all the nations would be blessed in Abraham. And of course, David is a descendant of Abraham. So there's the Abrahamic covenant. There's also the Mosaic covenant that has to do with the law. And the law contains not only the like, legal part that condemns sin, but there's also promise in the law. And people would look to Moses's law and uh, Deuteronomy ends with this promise that a prophet like Moses would rise up and rule over the people. And, and so in the time of Jesus, people were looking for that second Moses who would come up like Moses to rule the people, who's also fulfilled in Jesus, of course. And this is the Davidic covenant, this promise that one of David's descendants would rule over Israel forever, fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a high point in all of the Old Testament, actually. This is one of the most important chapters in all of the Old Testament where God promises that one of David's descendants would rule over Israel forever, fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, David responds, starting in verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord. So look at this. He's, David believes it. He believes it with faith. He says, already all the good stuff you've done for me, um, I don't deserve. And yet you've promised me this enduring dynasty. And it's going to be so impactful that everybody, it's instruction for mankind. Like everybody needs to know that you're going to do this. It's like this awesome promise-filled covenant. Verse 20, and what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you've brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, Israel, one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people? whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its God. So notice how David is also re recounting Israel's history. God was recounting the history through the judges. Now David is recounting history here. And so we're meant to see this covenant in the context of everything God has already done. He's adding grace upon grace and favor upon favor and promise upon promise. And he's in multiplying his greatness that he's already done to Israel. Verse 24. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you've spoken concerning your servant, concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. 
Your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may, be ple- may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. So there's lots of repetition in there. David is almost to the point of singing at the end. But you can hear that how David is receiving this promise by faith. All spiritual work is by faith. All God work is by faith. And David receives this promise by faith and thanks God and humbles himself and confesses he doesn't deserve it, but confesses he totally believes it and then prays for God to do the very thing he promised to do, which is a good lesson in prayer. What should you pray? Well, pray that God would do what he promised he would do. But even just as the prophet is writing this story down, you can hear how often it's just confirming God was faithful to his previous promises to deliver Israel and he'll be faithful to this promise and now believe in the promise and this is going to happen and God bless your people because this is going to happen and what's happening here is the people of God are being taught to put their hope in this promise that a Davidic king would come and rule over Israel for the good of Israel and even for the sake of God's fame in the world and so we are meant to have this kind of faith. Now, for Christians, people who are part of God's uh, people through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, united to the lineage of Abraham, we're children of Abraham through faith. We're united to the Davidic son through faith, being one with Christ. You're united to David's physical offspring by being united to him. Uh, we don't look forward in faith to the promise. We look back in faith to the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus Christ was a physical descendant of David. I think that's the very beginning of Romans mentions that. That was part of the Christian faith to remember that Jesus is a physical descendant of David. And we look back to the fact that this is something God promised centuries and centuries before it was fulfilled that there would be a Davidic son who would reign on the throne of Israel forever and because Jesus is God and because he's raised from the dead to everlasting life he truly fulfills this promise because he will forever be the one reigning on the throne of Israel and all the nations and the heavens and the earth united together and God has been faithful to his word. Amen.